Hi everyone, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. Today is the fourth day of ER, 5783, corresponding to Israel's Memorial Day, and this year that comes out on April 25th, 2023. 75 years ago, where the area in which I live fell to the Jordanians and the irregular Arab forces around, where they killed most of the people after they surrendered, it was May 13th, 1948, the day before the day, uh, May 14th, May 14th, that Ben-Gurion declares the state of Israel as the British are leaving the mandate, May 15th. So we go by the Hebrew date, as we do for holidays and for Memorial Days. And, uh, and that's where we are today. I just came back from Har Herzl, which is the major... Uh, it's a military cemetery in Jerusalem, and it's also the major cemetery where, if they want to be, the prime ministers, the presidents, the speakers of the Knesset can be buried. Not all of them have chosen to do so. And in addition to the more modern uh, military cemetery, meaning after the state was born, there are also many memorials there and graves of people who died before the state was created. Anyhow, I was asked by the organization Mizrahi to guide there today. It's not an easy place to guide ever, but especially on Memorial Day. And so I did, um, just for a couple of hours. We was There were a lot of people there. As you can imagine, at 11 o'clock this morning, there was a two-minute siren where everyone stood still. I, was, I really tried to avoid, really, the military cemetery. I feel that it's invasive to go and stand near people who are standing near their brother's grave, their son's grave, their husband's grave. So we were kind of off on the side in the section of the Six-Day War. And then we walked around a bit, took them to the mass grave for the people of Kfaretzion, of Kibbutz Kfaretzion. The Jordanians did not allow Israel to take their bodies out for about a year and a half. Um, and only then were they brought out, and they're bar- so they're buried in a mass grave because most of them weren't able to be individually identified anymore. You know, it's even it's even in the little things that our Muslim neighbors are nasty. It doesn't even have to be with like what happened a couple of weeks ago, you know, going up to two teenage girls and their mother and, you know, shooting them in the head at point blank range. No, it can even be on the things that you would think like, these people are dead already, like what's the difference? So you see the depth of the immorality and you see who we're up against. Anyway, we are not like that, and so today was a very respectful day. There were beautiful speeches. The prime minister was there, and the head of the army, and the president, and wreaths were put down. Um, and we walked around, so we saw the, the mass grave for Kfar Etzion. I took them to Chana Senesh. Chana Senesh is was a Hungarian young woman who had moved to Israel. Um, this is already in the pre-state days. She had come, and she was safe here, but she was asked and and agreed to um, jump behind enemy lines. They were trying to save Hungarian Jewry in 1944, and they weren't successful, but also they were caught, and she was killed, and eventually her body was was brought here. There's some very famous songs that many people know, Eli Eli. She was the beautiful poet and songwriter, and she was only in her 20s when she died. So we went around a little bit. I told them the story of Avshalom Feinberg, of the Neely, of this Jewish spy organization of World War I, who 
the Ottomans were just so terrible, we thought that the British would be better. I guess they were better, but not by much, as they slammed the gates shut in 1939. But anyway, this Neely organization um, tried to help the British succeed. It was actually quite important in helping the British beat the Ottomans in World War One. And Avshalom Feinberg, who was part of the organization, at some point goes down to Egypt, and on his way back, he's killed by Bedouin in the Sinai Desert near Rafiach. And in 19, so you're talking about, I think this was in 1917, 50 years later after the Six-Day War, paratroopers in the Sinai are, t- are told by Bedouin that there is, um, there's a place called the Kabar al-Yehudi, the Kever of the Jew, and they're taken to a palm tree, and when they dig up the palm tree, the bones of Avshalom Feinberger in there, apparently a date was in his pocket when he was killed, and it sprouted and grew a tree which marked his grave. So he was also reinterred into Mount Herzl. He's there along with the palm tree. And it turns out, because I also wanted to talk to them about Yoni Netanyahu, about the prime minister's brother, who was killed in the raid in Entebbe on July 4th of 1976. But that I didn't want, first of all, I figured it was going to be very crowded around there because that's really a known place of pilgrimage. But I have pictures in my PowerPoint, and I was able to tie it in to Avshalom Feinberg because it turns out that there was another, there was a civilian that was killed also in Entebbe, a woman named Dora Bloch who had, wasn't feeling well. She choked on some food. She was taken to the hospital. And after the raid, the successful raid where the Israelis were rescued from, um, from the airport, the Ugandans took out their anger on her and they killed her. Dora Bloch is the niece of of Shalom Feinberg. So I was able to connect all of those. We didn't have very long. Uh, we also went to the area where the former prime ministers are buried. And anyhow, it was a very intense morning. Um, started off already last night. There's a siren at eight o'clock at night. So I went outside. I live in Ephrat overlooking Bethlehem. And I went outside and at one minute to eight, they were shooting fireworks in Bethlehem. I mean, they're, you know, their joy is uh, they just love when people die, when Jews die, I mean, especially when they had a hand in killing them. So they're joyous and they're, you know, it's, look, I, I, um, I want our enemies to not hurt us. Um, don't want to have to kill them. Don't want anybody to have to kill. But obviously, if it's one or the other, then we know which one we have to choose. But there's like no joy in it. We don't like, you know, give out candies and shoot off fireworks. It's, uh, as I said before, just a completely different mentality. But there was a siren at 8 o'clock, and then I went inside to watch the official broadcast of the ceremony from the Kotel, from the Western Wall. And there were speeches and all of that. And then there was the mourner's prayer, the Kaddish. And it's a father and son who come to say it. And it turns out that it's the last remaining Yaniv boy. Remember the two the two beautiful young men, the Yaniv brothers, Halel and Yagel, who were killed a couple of months ago on the road in, uh, in the Shomron. They live in Harbracha. So they, in addition to their parents who remain alive, um, there's two sisters and a brother. And today, the brother turned 13. Today is his bar mitzvah, which means that he has the responsibilities of a man. And so he, the, probably the first thing he did, because it was just after sunset, uh, as a man, is say the mourner's prayer for his brothers along with his father. And from what I understood, the bar mitzvah today was held uh, in the cemetery, in the cemetery. 
So life goes on and there's joy and integrated, integrated with the heartache. Um, I just was trying to explain that. I landed, I guess it was yesterday. <laughs> it's been a really crazy week. I was in the States just for one long weekend. I left, I landed there last Wednesday morning. I had a meeting um, in Great Neck with people who want to do a project with the Nizal Fund to strengthen Judea and Samaria. Really, really, really lovely community. And then I went to Fairlawn, New Jersey um, for Shabbat. Also, a beautiful community. Shout out to Rabbi Andrew and his wife, Sarah Markowitz, who just really, just the lovely, unpretentious, warm, welcoming, attentive. Uh, I had a beautiful Shabbat there as a scholar in residence, something that I'm really trying to build up now because I realize not everybody comes to Israel and I can't guide everybody. So I'm going to get the message out. And I have so much to say about so many different things. Someone said to me, this is a political trip. And the truth is that, I mean, uh, I gave maybe one, t- um, the last talk that I gave was about Israel today, about the challenges of Judaism in the public spaces and the challenges that Israel has today. But the other talks were really a mix of Torah and academia, which is the world that I bounce around in. Uh, talk about Yeb, about Elephantine Island, about the, the, the possible temple. Was it a temple? Is it not a temple? Uh, from 2,500 years ago on an island in the Nile. Another talk about women in the ancient world. Where were we? How do we know? What were we doing? Um, another talk in the main synagogue was Israel Rejuvenated, about what all you guys know is my obsession with the Shemin of Farsimon, the Judean Balsam, and I brought some. It was also the New Year, uh, not New Year's, Rosh Chodesh. It was the first day of the new month of ER. And so even though there are, we're in this kind of mourning period now between Passover and Shavuot, what's called the Omer, but on Rosh Chodesh, there's no mourning. And so you can even say a blessing on something new, which involves saying a Shechianu, which is a blessing that we make on something that is either totally new, like when you put on a new, new article of clothes, or eat something new, or even if you haven't had it like in, in a long time to really show appreciation. You know, thank you, God, for getting me to this moment. And so that we were able to do that. And um, I also brought some of the ancient wines that are now being regrown. And so we had Kiddush on that. And it was, I mean, I love that. That is like, as all you guys know, that is like totally my wheelhouse, the Tzchelet and the dates and all of that. And then I gave a talk to the young people, to the youth, about identity issues. Um, my jumping off point was Herod, King Herod, who's a very well-known historical figure from the end of the Hasmonean period. Um, was he Jewish? Did the Romans think he was Jewish? Did the Jews think he was Jewish? What did he think of himself? I'm trying to find different proofs for that and why is that important? And um, I really wanted to talk to the kids about that because there's a lot of identity issues now among young people and even certain things that used to be kind of a given, like I'm a boy or I'm a girl are apparently now up for discussion. And it's really tough. Um, so that was kind of like an opening to be able to to talk about some things. So um, I had a great time. It was exhausting. I spoke five times in 24 hours. And then the next morning I got on a plane to get back to Israel. But it was really, it was also exhilarating. I love, I see that I love to teach. And when I'm with people who love to learn and are so engaged, then it's just like win-win. So, um, so it was a really great weekend. And if it's something that you think you want me to come to your community to do, um, let's talk, because uh, it's really something that, that I think is also needed, and also to present history and to present Torah 
um, in ways that are not what you're getting definitely from the media and, uh, you know, in a, in a different kind of a way. Um, also last night after we watched the, the official ceremony at the, um, at the Western Wall, we watched a film that was made um, by a very well-known photographer here in Israel. And it was, a, it was a film that was made over the course of a couple of years, uh, culling down 100 hours of film into one hour uh, about PTSD um, with four men and four women. Um, the men who are army vets who um, carry that around with them. And the women, one of them the wife of somebody with PTSD, one of them the daughter of someone with PTSD, one the mother of someone with PTSD, and the fourth woman was my own daughter who had a very difficult time in the Army and is still working on it, and I'm super proud of her because she is working on it. And I look around and I see so, so many people here who suffer from that, and it comes out in different ways. Um, and uh, now there's more of an awareness, and this film was made in order to really raise awareness of the need for people to get therapy, to get help, to acknowledge what it is. Um, the woman who grew up with a father with PTSD, you know, s spoke about how, like, how they had to be so careful around him. You know, he was so fragile in so many ways that there really wasn't a place to have a normal childhood. Um, the one who was married to somebody with PTSD spoke about like the tremendous crisis that he had after their first child was born and how, how these things come out. And of course, the men spoke about their experiences. Um, like one of them said, he said, yeah, I had to kill somebody. You know, and I was just listening to that thinking like, we're just not, we're just not killers. We just, and I've probably said this before, um, and you know, an understanding about why King David is not allowed to build the temple because um, when you kill somebody, no matter how justified it is, and I know so many people who have done incredible things and to save other lives have had to protect by killing other people, but it changes who you are, and they have to live with that, and they bear that burden for the rest of us for the fact that they're protecting us. And here I'm not just speaking about Israel, but I'm talking about every decent country in the world where people have to be on the defensive, um, policemen, soldiers, whatever, whoever it is. And I think we all need to understand that it's a terrible price that they have to pay, but that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them because they keep us safe. So there at least to be needs to be the acknowledgement and the caring, the understanding, the budgets that are given in order. They're going to be different. I mean, that's what, that's what came out. You're not, you're not the same person after you've been in a war situation or in some cases, you know, a terror attack. Uh, you're not going to be the same person, but that doesn't mean that you're broken and that you're finished. You have to pick it up and, and move it on into a different direction. Um, right before I left Israel, I went one more time to the D house. They were, they were, it was the last day that they were sitting Shiva. And I went in with a plant, a flower, that I had been given by the nursery in Kidumim when I went up there on Sunday. Last Sunday, I, I did a day trip up to Sebastia, up to Shomron. I think I spoke about that with the, um, you know, the ancient capital of Israel. And we went around there, the only people there, with our, and we had army. But after that, I took people to the... Uh, 
to the plant nursery in Kidumain, which reminded a lot of us of the beautiful plant nursery that was once in Gush Katif, before all of that was literally uprooted. Um, and I was talking to the man who owns it, and whatever, we were just talking about current events, and I mentioned Dee, and I said, I live not far from them, and he said, oh, please take them, this plant, because apparently uh, Lucy, Hashemi Komdema, loved her garden, and she loved flowers, so we'll keep the garden going, even though she's gone. So I went over there to give them the plant, and I walked in, and it was right when the chief rabbi of South Africa, I believe his name is Warren Goldstein, uh, he came in with Rabbi Doron Peretz from Mizrahi, uh, and he he's the one, even if you haven't heard his name, he's the one who instituted like a Shabbat, like a global Shabbat, everyone just keeps Shabbat just one time, if you can, so he's the one who initiated that idea, which is absolutely brilliant. And so he was in there to pay his respects, to make a condolence call. And Leo D. was talking about how he'd, had to, he'd have all these interviews during the week, BBC and this and that. And of course, they're ignoring what he's saying, and they're, they're cutting in the middle, and they're twisting everything, because it had to be his family's fault that they were murdered. I mean, it couldn't possibly be anything else. And then he said, he said... I look back at a lot of the things that I've done in my life. He, he worked for human rights organizations and Freedom House and all this. And he said, and, and I realized, like, so much of what I know right now kind of prepared me for this. Um, and he said, maybe that's why we were chosen, which still sends chills through me when I say that. Um, because it makes me just like want to go hide under a bed and not do anything because I don't want to be chosen for anything. But it doesn't work like that. We all, and I speak from personal experience here, we've all gone through things that, that were very difficult at the time and even afterwards and even still suffering from them. Um, people around us who didn't treat us the way that they should or nurture us the way that they should. Um, and it's only when you look back that you realize that you are the person that you are today for good and for bad because of the experiences that we've had. And we can try and make it for the good, which doesn't mean that the people who were horrible to us are off the hook, not in the least, not in the least. Um, and they have to do whatever it is that they have to do for the horrible things that they've done and the, the, the people that they were, but that that was the role that we, we had to assume in the world needed to be shaped by something like that. And so, and this is what I think, I think that I see among so many people here in Israel is, is really taking the tragedy and trying to turn things into good, to do more charity, to help others, to get involved more in the, in the state, to bridge, to have some unity, and um, work for the world to be a better place so that the person didn't die for nothing. And that's a choice. That is a serious choice, and every single one of us make that every single day. What we're going to do with who we are and the position that we find ourselves in. We're going to be angry and revengeful and try and make other people miserable around us. I know lots of people like that. Um, or we're going to make it something else. I was really proud of my oldest daughter. She and her daughters and, and two more of my daughters and some of the neighbors also made chalot, made the beautiful bread, the special bread that we have on Shabbat. And on Friday, they went from their home in Eli in the middle of the Shomron down to Dizengoff, which is smack in the middle 
of Tel Aviv. And with the little with the table, they put out the halot with a sign saying the people of Eli want to you know show show our love for the people here. And she got some amazing reactions, some really beautiful reactions by people who said, "Wow, that was so nice of you." And you know we do have things in common. Um, I saw some of the things on Facebook that were very nasty and very mean. Um, but I am so proud of her for putting forth the effort in doing that. So a lot of us talk about that, but do we don't actually do anything. And, um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding here, as there are, I'm sure, in other parts of the world, but I'm focused on here. And um, we all have to do our little bit, if not to make it better, then at least not make it worse and to show that, you know, we, we don't have any other country here. We have to figure this out. And I do still believe that there's just a very small group of people, um, and because it's me, so it's going to be me saying this on the left, who are losing their grip on the power that they've enjoyed for so many years. And so they are very desperately lashing out. And it's not about the reform, and it's not about anything else. It's about them losing their status, which they're about to do because they're not the majority anymore. So I'm not even talking about them because their motive is not something that I can change. It's not about they don't understand me. They very much understand me. Um, but they want Israel to be this little playground of their own um, without really necessarily a Jewish character and without anything special. And that's just not something that's going to happen. So it's going to be a rough ride on that end. And uh, and we we have our work to do. But on a day like today which flows right into tomorrow, which is our joyous day of Independence Day, and um, where I will be saying the Hallel blessing, the blessing of gratitude with, uh, with the actual blessing, because this to me is a major miracle, and I don't want to be accused of missing it and not understanding the role that God is playing in our lives all the time. So it's a very intense couple of days, um, and of what I do, just very involved on both sides of it. And um, I wouldn't and couldn't be anywhere else. I uh, came back from the States like right after the Shabbat in order to be here for these couple of days. don't like being out of the country. I don't know if I ever have been out of the country for this. It's very, very, very Israeli and very important. Very hard to describe. But um, like I said, it's home. It's home. And um, we need to protect it with everything we've got and be grateful for everything and there's a lot there's a lot to be grateful for so um thanks to all of you for checking in and to ben and to tabitha for making sure this goes out and uh i hope that wherever you are you are well and appreciative and not entitled and on the good on the good side of things because that's that's where we need to be eve harrow rejuvenation on the land of israel network Chag Atzma Ot Sameach, everybody. Goodbye for now.